Hello there, and welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking here. With each Painless Podcast, the goal is pretty simple. Let's connect with and get to know great people in sports, events, startups, and cause marketing. Have some info on today's guest, John Jeremillo, in just one sec. But first, a quick business note. Attention, Painless members. Do you love craft beer? Have your tickets yet for the Chicago Beer Classic at Soldier Field? That's right. The city's largest beer festival that kicks off festival season is next Saturday, May 6th. Get to chicagobeerclassic.com. Buy your tickets today. Painless members get $10 off tickets with the promo code RFEFRIENDS10. That's R-F-E-F-R-I-E-N-D-S and the number 1010, of course. RFEFRIENDS10 is the promo code, and we'll see you at the Chicago Beer Classic Saturday, May 6th. All right, today's guest, John Jeremillo, the athletic director at Roosevelt University. He's a native of Chicago's South Side, the back of the yards neighborhood. John was the oldest of five kids raised by a single mom. He's early on drawn on to graphic design and sports and sports writing and advertising. And uh, at the University of Illinois, one of his jobs was working at the Assembly Hall. And that exposed him further to uh, sports and events. Used that after graduation to grab an internship in sports information at UIC, which led to a full-time gig there. And then when his mother unfortunately passed away very young, he was inspired to change paths a bit and went to work for the Heart Association. Then one of his mentors drew him back into sports as Roosevelt had restarted their athletic program after going dormant for a couple decades. And now at the ripe old age of 35, John leads Roosevelt's athletic department that fields 12 NAIA teams and nearly 200 athletes. He handles hiring and firing coaches to marketing and fundraising to even, as he talks about, a little bit of chauffeuring athletes to games from a, a test or something that's conflicting with the schedule. So learn more about him, his background, and what he does at Roosevelt, and learn more about Roosevelt Athletics at RooseveltLakers.com or follow at uh, Roosevelt Lakers on Twitter. That's at Roosevelt Lakers. All right. Recorded April 19th, downtown Chicago at Roosevelt's Goodman Center. Let's get connected with John Jeremillo. And welcome to the Painless Podcast. Today's guest is the athletic director at Roosevelt University in beautiful downtown Chicago, John Jeremillo. I got it right, right? You got it perfect I, 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 for, for me. Okay, good. Uh, John is, uh, how long have you been the athletic director at, at Roosevelt now? Uh, not quite a year. I'll, uh, getting there, uh, you know, closing in on uh, about a year since I was named uh, interim athletic director. Um, got the permanent um, or less interim gig uh, in September. So uh, okay, a little bit of ways to go till that one year anniversary. And if I have a party, certainly uh, invite you to that. Well, to, to right. Excellent. I'll, I'll bring the hats. <laughs> uh, first, but let's go back, roll, roll back to uh, the beginning. Uh, you're a Chicago native, right? You grew up literally uh, real Chicago and grew up in the city. Um, what neighborhood did you come from? I came from the back of the yards neighborhood of Chicago. So that's on the Chicago South side, maybe a little bit West than what people consider the true South side. Um, and, uh, what I usually, uh, tell people when they ask, well, where is that? And I usually say, well, I grew up 45th and Ashland. Uh, that's where, uh, Upton Sinclair's the jungle was based. So I uh, actually finally read that book a few years ago. Uh, I know that's pretty uh, long, but, uh, got through it. And, uh, there's a sense of pride that a, hey, like there was something, uh, that came from this area that people kind of relate to at least. Yeah. How about the sense of smell? Do you still smell the stockyards? Yeah. Well, I haven't been there in a few years, but when I was growing up, uh, there was definitely a smell. Yes. And I'm not so certain I can attribute it to the hogs being butchered as much as uh, a lot of, uh, there was a waste management and other factories where you smell uh, a lot of different scents. There's a, yes. There's other things contributing these days, but uh, that's always the story down there of the uh, the uh, aroma in the air, <laughs> trying to identify where it's coming from. So, uh, but back on track. So back of the yards neighborhood and tell me a little bit about growing up. You have a bunch of siblings. Did you, were you into sports? Were you into school? Were you into music? What was, what shaped you as a 
kid and a teenager. Yeah, I was. Uh, so I'm the oldest of five kids. Uh, I have uh, three brothers and a sister. So uh, hopefully they'll listen to this and they know that I'm giving them a little bit of a shout out. It'll uh, boost the numbers. For boosting us. the yeah, numbers. Just, have, just the Jeremiah. Thing. <laughs> um, we were raised by a single mother um, in, in that neighborhood. Uh, not the uh, the greatest neighborhood. So um, spent a lot of time indoors trying to uh, figure out you know what I liked um, when it came to. Uh, my personal interest, um, I enjoyed school, loved reading, writing. Um, you know, writing was a big passion of mine from an early um, early time in my life. And, uh, you know, when I got into sports, you know, that was more, um, I would say, I would pinpoint it to around fourth or fifth grade. And there were a few uh, key aspects that got me into it. Uh, number one, the Bulls were really good. Um, the Bulls and Michael Jordan, and how can you not follow the best of the best. So that was the time where they were winning titles and I uh, started really getting into it. Um, the other was, um, you know, I remember gym classes and having uh, friends who knew <clears throat> all sorts of things about, um, you know, football and basketball. And I did wasn't very good. And usually the last person picked, yeah, that happened. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just very competitive, but very frustrated when I didn't know the rules. So I took, uh, that was about the time where I started, uh, using my interest in reading to really pick up a lot of sports magazines, you know, sports Mm. illustrated. My mom got me, uh, one of those, you know, deals where sports illustrated, you know, you get it for a year, uh, and then just kept renewing. I got sport magazine, uh, just all these things, newspapers. I get the sun times when it was actually, you know, thicker and had a lot of the columnists in there and, you know, even the tribune. So started reading, started following it more on TV. Um, we had a, you know, my mom had the big color TV in the living room where in our room, we were watching on a black and white TV. I'd watch, you know, Cubs, Sox, Bulls games late at night. I remember them playing like the Vancouver Grizzlies and <laughs> starting really late. So those are things where I would just stay up and try to absorb as much information as I could and until I understood the rules and I could be an actual uh, participant who wasn't getting picked last. And, uh, you know, that actually happened. You know, you go to use that knowledge to go to, you know, I would go to McKinley Park on 39th, uh, closer to Damon. And we'd walk there from, from my apartment and just play, play basketball all day in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so just those things. And then like the social aspect of having that sports knowledge is that you knew what was going on, not just with the Bulls, but you knew like the, the landscape of the NBA or the NFL or why are the Cubs so bad at that time? <laughs> you know, the Sox are pretty good. Um, so just having that knowledge where you could, you know, carry a conversation with somebody and, you know, not look completely lost. Right. You could both... It helped you participating in the sport and participating in conversations and social life, right? Yeah. So you stayed in the the city but not in your neighborhood to go to high school. We talked a little bit about that before the mics went on. You ended up at at Curry. How did you pick Curry and what were you, you know, what was the, you know, since you had to apply and stuff like that, just thinking again of shaping you, what direction you were looking to do, what did you do? in high school so my uh you know when you're looking at high schools uh, at that time it was uh all right your district high school what is that and then what are the other options because my district high school was tilden and i'm not going to bash tilden but that was not where my mom wanted me to go Mm -hmm. um so uh there are a few good options uh that required a bus trip or two and curie was uh where a lot of my friends were going Mm -hmm. um and they had an art program there so you know if you were out of district you had to have a major and uh, I, I love to draw as well. So I had some drawings that I brought to a, a portfolio day where they, you know, looked at your your stuff and uh, decided if you were, you know, ready to go and study in their program. So I got accepted really based off the grades, test scores. But um, when it comes to art, they did not decide. Uh, to have me in that program. So I went to major in scenic design, which actually was a blessing in disguise because um, there was art components there. I did take art classes. I maybe wasn't the best uh, painter or drawer or artist in that regard, but um, scenic design was uh, really a well-rounded experience for me, which is kind of the the path I've taken since then is trying to, you know, maybe not a a master of something, but a jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. And uh, in scenic design, I learned how to 
cut uh, wood and planks and build sets and write and theater criticism. And, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Hoffman was the, the man that, uh, you know, did a lot for me at that time. And, uh, you know, so it was a good, good experience uh, there at Curie where, you know, you know, it was a well-rounded experience worth the, the train ride and the bus ride. It wasn't <laughs> too long considering, uh, uh, you know, now what I, you know, the, the trip I take. But uh, with, uh, with at that time, my family didn't have a car, so it was, you were on your own. We were right. using CTA tokens to, to get where we needed to go. And did you, were you also, as the oldest and the son, did you even, were you also taking a role of dad and shepherding your younger siblings? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't take too much credit. I think they were, they were all good, good human beings, good kids. Um, but I, I did take that role seriously in terms of being a role model and, and trying to do the good thing and stay on the straight and narrow path. Um, so I know a lot of times uh, growing up, uh, I'd hear them, um, uh, get a little bit angry if they had the same teacher as I, I had. And, uh, you know, I was that straight A nerdy student, um, you know, that really tried to be really nice, maybe saw it as a teacher's pet. I don't think so, but they would, uh, they would come home and they'd complain about the teacher talking about, you know, John, they were comparing me to inevitably compared to Yeah. And they held their own. I give them all that credit. They held their own in that, but I know that it probably wasn't easy for them, but that was, uh, it certainly was a role I took seriously. They turned off the podcast now. They're like, (laughs) they got to listen and they get to the, forget it. I can't do it. After, after a minute, they probably heard the voice. Yeah. We won't have complete listens, just, uh, initial downloads and then it'll drop off the, um, so then you went off to the finest university in the country, (laughs) university of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, I happened to also matriculate there. But uh, a little bit before you did, but uh, in, in College of Communications. So, uh, you know, again, we talked a little bit off mic of that you were looking to go into journalism. You talked about writing and enjoying doing all that kind of stuff. So that was the intention. Where did things go from there once you were in Champaign? Sure. Uh, so when I got there, it was I was intent on being one of the next great sports journalists, a sports columnist, like I said, with reading the Tribune and the Sun-Times all those years. You know, I really liked, you know, the idea of that. <clears throat> when it came to getting down there, um, I uh, first week or so, I uh, hooked on with the Daily Illini, which has produced a, a who's who of, mm-hmm. of journalists and, and writers. Um, <clears throat> but in that regard... Um, I was assigned to cover a, uh, a YMCA garage sale as my first story. <laughs> and they were pretty up, upfront about what you were getting paid to do that per line. So I did that, thought I did all everything you know right, <clears throat> and I submit the, uh, the story, and uh, it just gets skewered. It is like <laughs> cut up, like red. And I'm sitting there with the editor at the time, and I knew he was doing his job, and he was experienced, and I respected that. But man, was I demoralized! That was uh, eye-opening. And I was—I think I like the final total would have been like 74 cents for that work. <laughs> and that was more of a yeah, that's probably going to be par for the course. Maybe not 74 cents for a big sports column, but I don't know if this is going to be the most uh, <clears throat> the way to make a living. Um, so I ended up venturing more toward advertising. I was at Quad Day. And the American Advertising Federation had a table, and there were some great people there. They were very kind, and you know, I always liked the creative aspect of advertising. Like the the art the artistic side of me really was drawn to that. So, uh, so I started I started up with them as a freshman, uh, worked my up way up into some leadership roles, and uh, you know, in the midst of that. Um, I thought I was going to major in advertising. Um, you know, one of my uh, mentors at that time, Steve Hall, he was the he was influential um, on my life. Uh, and and one of the things, a lot of people's lives, a lot of He's people's lives. Love Steve Hall, and uh, you know, he uh, really encouraged me. Uh, I ended up looking at media studies, and I think I even shocked him when I chose that route. But um, I don't know. I took I took his course, and I you know I loved every minute of it, and. Uh, I wasn't sure in terms of, again, going back to that Curie high school experience was, uh, I wasn't sure artistic wise if I was, you know, 
the master of that, mm-hmm. um, the creative side that I really was interested in. So um, when it came to media studies, the the writing component, the critical component of it, I thought it'd make me a, a different candidate if I were to go into advertising. So um, so I went with that and met a lot of great professors. Um, I uh, uh, I remember Stephen Heldy's class uh, at Law and Communications, and I remember seeing that it was one of the toughest classes out there and uh in having that experience uh you know amongst others was it was just really great and i thought really uh differential in my life versus like just doing advertising so right so then you ended up with um the degree ended up being in what ended up being in media studies it was media studies, media studies okay. so and then you did some uh, we talked about this a little bit too right was it at uh, assembly hall now the state farm center yep. is was that the first real job or i mean i guess internship but in around sports is that where that and started it was uh you know i i knew i wanted to get into sports um i didn't have that much of an in with the athletic department at that point um uh, you know, I didn't know what it would take to get in. I, I wasn't even sure if sports was really what I wanted to do, but it was always on my radar. So when the assembly hall opportunity came up, uh, applied for that. And, uh, you know, Gary O'Brien was uh, the director at that time in terms of marketing and, um, you know, really clicked with him in the interview. Um, and, uh, you know, it was an opportunity to learn a, a skill set um, and, and maybe not so much indirectly in sports, but be around it. So walking into the assembly hall at a time and seeing the court down mm-hmm. and then, you know, helping promote uh, events that weren't requiring that court. So, you know, concerts, you know, there was Pearl Jam that year. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, uh, you know, a lot of Michael, there was Michael W. Smith and some of the, uh, you know, the Gaither family uh, concerts. Um, there was also WWE. I remember being part of that. Uh and, you know, a lot of different events and how you keep track of data. And I even think uh, early on in the internship, there was another um, intern or student worker who had left. And I just jumped at the chance to do what um, that person was doing, the opportunities that were kind of left open. And I told Gary at the time, I'm willing to do whatever uh, it took to, you know, to try something new, even though that wasn't the aspect that we talked about in the interview. So um, certainly got a lot of different experience that I even I thought I would get. That's great. That keep, keeps coming back to a little bit of that, that you like touching a lot of different stuff, working on learning on a bunch of different stuff, becoming a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. That certainly come in. We'll talk more about it, but it certainly is very important for you today in the role that you have at Roosevelt. So, so that takes us up to you've graduated and then uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but then uh, you went to sister school uh, of U of I, U of I, uh, U- University of Illinois Chicago, yep. and doing sports information. Yep, that is correct. So I, uh, you know, right out of school, I, uh, I, I did something that I don't advocate any of um, the students I work with today to do. I didn't have a job uh, coming out of graduation, didn't have an internship, um, so I went home. Uh, you know, and it was tough for me because. Uh, as the oldest and somebody who consider themselves a, the man of the house, you know, I wasn't, you know, working, I was just doing a lot of searching and, uh, you know, I saw the opportunity at UIC and I interviewed there and, uh, you know, I interviewed with Mike Cassidy, the sports information director at the time. And little did I know that, uh, Mike would be such an influence on me, um, such a, a, a mentor and a friend and, a. Uh, a role model to me. Uh, but at that time we clicked, we talked a lot about, you know, where UIC was and where, you know, coming from University of Illinois and my experience there. And, you know, it just was a really great interview. And uh, from there I got hired as an assistant sports information director, not really knowing what I was doing going in, just knowing that there was a lot of writing and editing and other things that uh, I wanted to learn. Uh, you know, first day was right before Labor Day weekend. I was updating the website, um, and ever since, just getting a lot of different experience with events. And uh, you know, Mike was just very, very influential uh, in terms of you know how to do things right and what he was doing um, at that time, handling men's basketball. UIC at that time, uh, my first year, they went to the NCAA tournament played Kansas in Kansas City and, uh, you know, seeing how that was, mm-hmm. that process was handled and 
how, you know, things were in terms of, um, you know, just the people I was able to meet. So was that Jimmy Collins? Jimmy was Collins. Yeah. Coach time, Collins right? was, was there and, uh, coach Coombs, the associate mm-hmm. head coach and, uh, Martel Bailey, Cedric Banks, those guys, uh, you know, taking that team there. And it was just a fun year, uh, in terms of basketball. And I thought every year was going to be like that. I thought <laughs> we were going back to the tournament the next year. We had an even better team. Uh, and you know, that it just, that was another, uh, piece of experience yeah. in terms of, uh, that's not always the case no. and you get close, but it's not a guarantee. And we, know we have a, a lot of people listening to, I think that would be curious of how did you get in the door to talk, uh, you know, about this assistant SID role? How did you get connected Mike to Mike and, and get the interview even in the first place and then have both confidence and preparation, whatever, for <clears throat> interview to stand out. I think people curious, like you said, when you were back at U of I, you're like, I don't have any contacts. You start to figure out how to make those contacts. Well, how did you do that? Well, one of the things that I had great, I think I had great references, um, you know, in terms of I had confidence in myself and confidence in the people who would advocate for me. So I know um, I have people even though they didn't work in sports, could talk about my writing, could talk about my personality, could talk about my background. Uh, I know Gary O'Brien at Assembly Hall, uh, John Rossi at the U of I College of Law, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, so uh, not the head coach at Northwestern in terms of football, but uh, Pat Fitzgerald, um, he a uh, uh, big influence in my life. He's uh, you know, at that time, I, my mom had worked for, for his company, Available Business Group, and beca- ended up becoming Source 4. Now he's with uh, Fitzgerald uh, Marketing, uh, you know, FitzMC. So uh, he, I got to know very well, was a role model for me. And, you know, he's somebody that could talk uh, a lot about, you know, my upbringing and who I was and uh, really fought for me from from day one, from when I was a high schooler wearing baggy jeans and NFL jerseys <laughs> to a part-time job. So uh, <clears throat> when it came to that, it was really getting advocates and then just having confidence in myself that, you know, my skill set fit in with what Mike was looking for, you know, in terms of I knew even though I didn't have that job, you know, you needed somebody who could write, who could edit, who had you know, knowledge about where sports information was going. They're not, you're not faxing out press releases. You're not going to be doing that much longer. Um, and you know, the, how do you position these stories? And, um, you know, and Mike and I, in that interview, I, I still remember it and talking about UIC basketball and U of I and really, you know, what it really takes to, to get those, you know, if they're not on the map already, how do you do that? And when you're on the map, how do you keep it going? So, all right, and then, then uh, you took a a little bit of a detour, I guess you would say that because you had been focused and loving working in sports. That after a few years, then you, like I said, change of pace, working for the uh, director of communications for the Heart Association. Mm-hmm. Right? What brought that about? Yeah. So I had uh, when uh, you know Mike got promoted, I was promoted to the head sports information director position. So I did that for three years at UIC. At UIC. Right. So. I worked directly with Coach Collins and all of our coaches uh, in some capacity, but really basketball was at the forefront, and it's a grind. It uh, you know from the first year I was on there, it was you know nonstop, you know travel. I remember a, a time where I like I didn't sleep for three days. I was just coffee, oh, like yeah. I had like three ventis a day, <laughs> and that probably is uh, you know I'm probably facing the repercussions of that now. But um, it was uh, you know. The thing that made it fun was just the group of people that was there. Um, you know, Sean Sullivan, who I actually um, I replaced as assistant sports information director when he left for the Chicago Rush, but then lucky enough to come back and share an office with him. And the amount of information and the amount of the the height of our friendship just cultivated in that office. What we did um, just really made all the other stuff, the challenges, the schedule where you're missing life events, uh, really tough. Um, you know, so, uh, I think in my, after my, it was in 2006, I had lost my mom to a heart attack. She was 48 and a uh, big influence on my life because, you know, that's the person I consider if she's not around, I'm not around, uh, in terms of how I was molded, obviously gave birth to me. So that's the other uh, piece of that. But uh, ever since I was looking at, all right, what am I doing? Am I spending uh, my time wisely? And um, I saw, you know, between losing her to a heart attack and, uh, you know, looking at what else is out there, 
um, thinking about the next chapter. There's a position at the American Heart Association that opened up in Chicago. It seemed like a really great fit. Uh, the people there are amazing, just kind, and they're passionate about the mission. Um, and my passion uh, for that mission, um, you know, was definitely deeply entrenched. And so it just, you know, it seemed like it made good sense. And, you know, it was a tough decision for me. You know, uh, it seemed like to veer off course. I didn't know if I'd ever get back into sports. Not sure if I even wanted to. Um, but the two years I spent at the AHA in terms of the people I met, the types of the type of work I did, the the different things I was able to do that I wouldn't have been able to do if I stayed in that uh, position at UIC was just uh, really eye opening and really just a, a good time and a, you know a lot more free time in the sense of. Um, you know, not having to work all of the the baseball games, the softball right. games, the basketball trips that, you know, I took, uh, I think I took, f- I can't even remember now. There was like a time one year, it was like a four or five month span where I went to Youngstown, Ohio, <laughs> five times on a bus. It was like for two basketball games, uh, two baseball series, like one of them was a tournament and it was just a lot uh, and I'm not bashing Youngstown, Ohio. It's a fine town, <laughs> but it's very long. It's very far away yeah. from Chicago. Right. And, and when you're on a bus, uh, you know, that was just one of the things that I thought, you know, maybe I could try something different and um, not have to have such a, a grind. Uh, well, I think that's a, what I deal with in people asking me for advice as well of this whole idea that there's one set path and you go take this direction and then, like you said, oh, am I ever going to be able to get back in sports? Well, probably if you want to. Maybe you won't want to. Maybe you'll love this. And it was a combination, like you said, of your passion of writing and communication and being important to work with good people, but also now having this cause, this greater meaning almost, that makes a lot of sense. And then obviously you could get back into sports because then – uh, how long were you at the AHA? About two years. A couple of years couple you were years. there. And then that guy's name keeps popping up, Mike Cassidy, Mike Cassidy right? Yeah. It's his so fault. Right? His fault. I blame him for everything. Um, <laughs> well, it really is here at Roosevelt too, right? Because he started up the athletic department or restarted uh, yeah. the athletic department, right? Yeah. So he uh, he had an opportunity, um, and I know that uh, a person who's close to, to Mike and to myself, uh, Denny Wills, was very integral in making that happen. So... Um, you know, another person I owe a lot to is Denny Wills at UIC. Um, so Roosevelt was reviving athletics for the men's side and implementing women's athletics for the very first time. Oh, okay. So, uh, but they had been dormant for 20 years, um, didn't have any gym, any land for, for any of the sports to compete on. So Mike, uh, you know, pursued the opportunity. Right. Um, and I think that's, sorry to interrupt, but I think that that's actually probably a good point for people listening um, especially anybody f- not from the Chicago area, that Roosevelt, I mean, you talk about landlocked. It's it's in the heart of the the loop, the east side of the loop at Congress and Michigan, essentially. Mm-hmm. Auditorium theater, people might know Roosevelt through there. Certainly the NFL draft uh, being here, shine a nice light on you all, but there's not athletic facilities really, period. There's not like there's a football and soccer field out outdoors. Uh, close by uh, by any stretch so you had to do that on top of what you know coaching uh, hires um, recruiting putting all that stuff in place um, as well as uh, finding the money for it right I mean yep. I'm, I'm talking over you go so go back to you were talking with Mike and how did this all come about? Well, first I want to say thank you Chris for shining a positive light because anytime I get a positive light on Roosevelt that <laughs> is basically doing my job so I'll cut you a check later uh, well, that's fr- the free parking is <laughs> is it's so expensive down here that's worth it on its own I, I try I try um, so when uh, I, re- I was still at the AHA and Mike um, I you know kept in touch with them and uh, we, we met up for a few drinks afterwards um, after work one day and we were talking you know catching up he had just I remember he was in Ireland and he was getting prepared to run a, uh, an ultra, essentially an ultra marathon. So he was doing a, a fundraising event for, uh, for Roosevelt to run from the Schaumburg campus to the downtown oh. Chicago <laughs> campus. So we had a lot to catch up on. And then he proposed, he asked if I was ever interested in getting back into sports. And I remember I was not 
I was not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Oh, really? It yeah. was, you weren't jumping at it immediately. Oh, nope. So you were actually kind of recoiling even. Recoiling, oh, resistant, huh. uh, definitely not. There was something, you know, deep inside, there was always something that if the right opportunity came about, mm-hmm. I was never going to turn it down. Um, you know, and when it comes to what Mike had said, you know, the prospect of working with Mike was always appealing because I always mm-hmm. enjoyed working with him. Um, but in terms of getting back into college athletics and a couple of minutes ago, what I just said, the grind of a, yeah. of a sports season, in addition to a smaller version of that, so less human resources, less staff, less, you know, time, you know, that, you know, certainly weighed on me. But the opportunity uh, he proposed in terms of what I would be doing um, and again, working with him, getting different experience, uh, having a pathway to, to possibly, you know, getting promoted somewhere or getting a job, you know, that was beyond that whole sports information communications realm, you know, that was appealing to me. That was, you know, taking another step, uh, in my career was the appealing aspect. And again, and again, doing it in tandem with Mike, um, you know, learning from him, learning what he's been through. Again, he started this from scratch, you know, with no, not a lot of uh, resource in terms of help from the past. So now, had he, was he brought over to do that? Did, and like, where did the, was he at the genesis of the idea? I don't even really know the background on this with the athletic department. Sure. Uh, how did it, that come about and how long was he here or was he here for a little bit and then he started having these conversations with you or was he just starting to move over? Tell us a little he, bit more about that because I, I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, he, so the university uh, under or the previous president, Chuck Middleton, and uh, you know there were students who wanted a more traditional campus. Um, so athletics was part of that and they wanted to reinstitute that. I think Denny and a few others were involved in the planning phase. Um, and you know when it came to... Uh, finally setting it in motion, you needed to hire an athletic director and, and Mike was in on the, the process. And so in 2009, he got brought over from UIC to be the first modern day athletic director to, to revive everything, re- revive men's sports and add women's sports. So, um, so in 2009, he was, he's been here, he hired coaches for the first few sports, basketball, baseball, had a plan in place to add sports later on in the lifespan, um, which was around the time he approached me in 2012 to do it. So he had been handling a lot. He had been doing what I'm kind of currently doing now, um, and handling a lot of different things, wearing a lot of different hats, but he was also building and doing things like trying to get a, a building built on Congress and Wabash to house a, a gymnasium and a lot of different things. Yeah. So in 2012, it was at that point where... It wasn't any of that. That's what I just think is a, is really amazing slash neat was it was from scratch, right? So like it, it wasn't like, oh, well, let's go dust off the gym that's been, you know, classrooms or something. Yeah. It they, was not in existence. Not in existence. So where we're sitting right now here in the Goodman Center, it was a parking lot. It was a parking lot owned by the university. And um, so there was nothing here. This structure mm-hmm. wasn't here and nothing was close to being in place. So there was a lot of uh, vagabond, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, venturing around the city to play games, to practice. Um, so it was a testament to those student athletes. They were able to uh, recruit here on a vision. So, yeah, right. you know, we don't have this gym trust, yet. Huh? Yeah, a lot of trust. And so they did that. Uh, around the time I got here, uh, this building was still being constructed. Um, and we ended up starting soccer that fall. I had uh, just missed that first season. Uh, softball was starting up. Um, you know, we're expanding, you know, into track a little bit more. So, um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, different uh, ventures going on. In addition to, uh, you know, with Mike's role, he was uh, in charge of, you know, the fitness center in the new Wabash building. So that was oh, just wow. opened uh, down the block. Uh, that was a the vertical campus, so 32 stories with classrooms and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, dorm rooms. So those are things that are, you know, that were still in motion at mm-hmm. that time or just getting opened. So a lot going on at that point mm-hmm. in Roosevelt's uh, athletic lifespan. And what convinced you to pull the trigger and make the move to come over here? Uh, it, it certainly was a, a decision I was definitely not 100% sure of. Um, <laughs> I kept juggling with it. I talked to a lot of people who uh, had great insight about, you know, 
what it meant, what, you know, what it would mean, what, uh, what it does for, for my career. Um, you know, I called a lot of different people and they posed a lot of questions to me and what I, you know, what I valued and what, you know, what Hmm. I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, the, I think the thing that I remembered when I left UIC was similar to what I was contemplating when, if I were to leave the AHA was I could still, you know, interact with those people. I can still do things as a volunteer or as a fan or, you know, as a supporter. So, um, it was like, I wasn't leaving something completely. I was just moving on to a next chapter. Right. It's an important way to look at it Mm -hmm. versus shutting the door forever on something. It's not the case. And that's, and that's, it was very easy for me to feel that way initially, uh, because I know that a lot of people do and, but but it's something where, I'm sure your listeners are going to go through it a lot is that, you know, if there's a new opportunity, sometimes it's tough to leave that old opportunity, but you're not leaving it completely and, you know, you're, you're not shutting a door and locking it and right. yeah. blowing it up. Now who you, you talked about, you know, p- people posed hard questions of you and, you know, you, I'm sure probably, you know, picked a lot of people's brains. You obviously Mike was important in that. Sure. And, and who else you know, how did you find people to reach out to? Who were the kinds of people that you you talked to 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 confirm? Oh, yeah, this is I, I'm I'm going to do this. This is the right thing. You know, the, Danny Wills was a, sure. another person I, I leaned on, um, who who gives great insight. You know, and is extremely supportive, and he's honest, he's direct. Uh, Sean Sullivan. So Sean was. Uh, always have great conversations with him and he's the same. He's going to give you honesty. He's going to pose some questions or, or scenarios that, you know, kind of, you know, give you your gut feeling, you know, it, yeah. it turns it into, all right, this is, uh, you know, a legitimate, you know, thought, this mm-hmm. is a legitimate idea I have. And this, what Sean had done was really, you know, pushed it, you know, over the goal line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and there are a ton of other people I, I, I was able to talk to, even at the American Heart Association. I had some wonderful people uh, there who were very supportive. Um, oh, that's great. And that's, that's to me, is that's why you'd want to stay in touch with those people. Yeah. You don't want to close the doors that you can even have a, such an open conversation, productive relationship, right? That even I'm, <laughs> almost I'm thinking of leaving mm-hmm. here. Some people could never do that. That's well, That's great. That speaks volumes for... Uh, type of organization and people that are there. So you came over here in 2012, 2012, fall of 2012. So I believe, uh, right around Halloween of that year. Uh, so I played dress up and my costume was associate <laughs> athletic director here at Roosevelt. Um, didn't really, uh, dress very well for the part, but, uh, you know, I was, I was wearing ties a little bit. Well, you more weren't often. still in the baggy jeans <laughs> and the football jerseys. Yeah, right? no, the, those were retired long ago. Although sometimes, uh, depending on the, on the day of the week, uh, you could go Halloween, you can yeah. go back and go back in time as John from back in the, back, back in the, the yards. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and and now Mike, when did Mike get elevated to the VP role elsewhere at the university that you you report to him still, but he got bumped up. When did that happen? That you became interim was last summer, La, like late like late spring, early summer, uh, around May of 2016. Uh, Mike was uh, contemplating an offer uh, to move into the associate vice president for enrollment management role. So there had been a lot, you know, turnover. Uh, you know, we have a new president, Ali Malexade, mm-hmm. who's wonderful, um, you know, is coming in at the right time to, you know, in a challenging situation has really done a lot. And, you know, Mike on campus is so respected and has done so much in a lot of different areas. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of people may have been shocked to see the athletic director get right. an offer like that, but it was no surprise to me. I mean, I'm actually surprised it didn't happen earlier, um, but uh you know, he, I know he had this, what we just described, you know, my struggle was in terms of, do I come to Roosevelt? Do, do I stay at AHA? What do I do with my life? I know that he was grappling with that because when, you know, in his case, he built this, he built athletics yeah, right. and, uh, you know, that was something important to him, but in the role he was offered, it would be a way for him to continue to have an impact on athletics without having, you know, to be at all of the events or to really, you know, burn that candle on some, on on all ends. It just, it's, 
one of those things where he was able to make a, a, a big impact on the university uh, and still be able to be around athletics. Um, so yeah, right. when he was contemplating it, I know that he was concerned about what would be next and certainly was very honest with me about what I wanted to do if I wanted to take over that chair. Um, I was certainly um, not so sure. Um, he he kind of went back and forth with me about, you know, he would advocate for me, and uh, which I deeply appreciate because he's done nothing but that ever since I've known him. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I didn't know if I was ready. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 35 years old. You know, you see a lot of people getting their athletic director uh, opportunities you know, much later in life. Right. And, uh, you know, I, it, it speaks to his trust in me, uh, the trust of our administration in me, and, and just the, the support of the coaches and the student athletes here. They were great throughout the process. And, uh, you know, so in May, uh, you know, eventually got the interim role right. uh, while he was transitioning over there. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of this, that way ever since, uh, yeah. outside of getting that tag removed later in the fall. <laughs> right. And yeah, you may be 35 and you are damn young, but at the same time you carry yourself and you have a old soul. And I mean that only in a high complimentary way, you know, just mature and responsible. I think having helped raise siblings and stuff has a lot to do with that. Thank you. But it's funny that, uh, you know, we talk about the reading the paper when it was, you know, they had actual reporters and columnists and watching games on a black and white TV. It sounds like somebody that's a lot older than 35 saying that, but um, just giving you some grief. (laughs) But right now, and I shouldn't be really, because right now you're still filling two roles too, right? Are you guys just trying to figure out everything, budgeting and what's next to fill the associate AD role? Have you started to look to hire somebody or is that tabled? Where's that stand? It's a, a lot of work. Yeah, it is. I, I won't lie. Um, it's uh, right now it's, it's been frozen to, uh, to make sure that, you know, in a challenging uh, situation for the university budget wise. And because it honestly, you look at higher education, it's a challenging landscape for almost every institution. If you're not Harvard or Stanford, you know, you're, endowment, you know, is not what those are. You're probably looking at, you know, what your budgets are, what you're getting from the states, you know, what you're getting from the federal government, um, you know, what your tuition rate rates are, you know, and your enrollment, you're looking at all those things and you're, you're trying to make sure that you're, uh, in situations where, you know, you can keep going and you can keep giving a, a first class experience. Um, my whole concern, uh, you know, with, with our department was making sure that we don't cut sports. We don't cut the experience of the student athletes. We don't cut positions. I don't want people to lose their jobs. So if it's, if it means, you know, me taking on extra work, if it means doing maybe tabling a few things that I used to do and just really focusing on the things that need to get done, then that's what I'd rather do than put other people at risk. And then, and really, you know, affect negatively the student athlete experience that we have here. How many sports, Right now, are there at Roosevelt? How many men's and women's sports are there? We have 12. The NAIA, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, would probably consider us 16, but they triple count cross-country track, so I just tightly put them all together because they're the same student-athletes. But 12 sports, um, we have men's and women's basketball, men's and women's soccer, baseball, softball, volleyball, men's and women's tennis, um, and men's golf. Um, and probably forgetting uh, a few here and there. We have uh, women's volleyball. Um, you know, we've looked at, you know, in the past we did uh, some, one of my early jobs was to conduct feasibility studies of adding sports. Uh, but in our situation, just like you mentioned earlier, Chris, with being landlocked, we don't have a lot of wiggle room for right. where we play. Well, you play like baseball, you share or use the uh, Thunderbolts Stadium in Crestwood for baseball, the Bandits softball field up in Rosemont soccer you play out at toyota park so you've got to use um other facilities because there's just there's not something downtown that you could even build off of but so you're you talked about earlier that's where this whole jack of all trades thing is so important i guess because you're basically you're filling ad and currently associate ad type roles but you're also doing um sports information you're also doing fundraising and marketing type efforts as well right and hiring and firing the coaches we talked about this beforehand that 
you know, in times of needs in a, in a smaller department like this, when you've lost a tennis coach or a softball coach, you fill that role. Now, you're quick to be modest that you're not X's and O's. It's more making sure practices are run, games are scheduled, students are getting their, you know, academics are staying in order, those kinds of things. But it's still, it's you wear a lot of hats. Um and including chauffeur, I like to see the chauffeur cap. But I mean, that's a, that is something at a, you know in an NAA or even just smaller, you know, even probably some Division One schools. We're used to Big Ten, you know, thinking of that of the you know Jim Phillips and that whole staff at Northwestern and Josh Whitman now at U of I and those things. Uh, you, you think of that, but you, I mean, you were talking about you have to drive somebody to a game because they had a class, a test, or something. Because it's still about the education first and working around that. How do you prepare yourself for all these curveballs that come at you? It's re- it's really coming into the days knowing that some if you have something planned, it's might not go as planned, or it <laughs> might have to it might have to get scrapped. It's it, again the, the taking driving the student athletes to games. You know, it's not a frequent thing for me, thankfully, but it happens, and that's part of you know, making sure that you prioritize. So the priority is making sure that they go to class, they succeed in class, they're not feeling like class is being diminished or devalued and that they are still able to get onto the field. So small things. And, uh, you know, that's something with our staff there, the camaraderie among most of them are, is great. They love, love to help each other out there. A lot of them are quick to ask me if I need help. They understand the situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody's in a bind, you know, somebody asks for help and somebody's usually there to step up. Sometimes it's tough depending on the time of year. If we have a lot of sports in, in action, um, for, for others to help with the small nature, the small size of our staff. But, um, you know, that's where I try to make sure if I, I can help that I'm, I'm doing what I can to help. I, I know that my calendar is filled up a lot more with meetings, but, you know, if I can make sure that, you know, the game is not so much a priority, but the experience of the student athlete is. Yeah. How do you stay up on, uh, you know, is there any trick that you have of helping to prioritize? Because, you know, fires pop up and, things it's it's constantly reshuffling the deck basically are you a you know a big note taker a big post-it note guy something big with uh, you know whatever on your phone or your your laptop how do you stay both uh, organized in general and then prioritize things to make sure that nothing slips through the cracks everything which probably means that i'm not as organized as i could be (laughs) i i love evernote i love uh, i use that very frequently um, I, I have a lot of post-it notes that I often lose, but they're around. Um, I do love taking notes. Um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get into the habit of, um, I like going to meetings and listening. And if there's something that I don't want to forget, I'll usually jot it down. But then after a meeting, I'll usually, you know, do a debriefing or I'll write something down mm. after, after that. Um, you know, I, I try, I love trying different things in terms of keeping myself as organized as possible, which is very difficult for me. Um, I certainly, I'm glad we didn't do this interview in my apartment because it is <laughs> a mess. That's probably where, where I, uh, the, the, the thing on my plate, you know, that's one thing that just stays there is that, you know, when you have events, you know, here and there or rescheduled baseball games or a meeting that pops up uh-huh. that you got to drop everything for, um, you know, something, you know, suffers. So, um, that it's a little bit, if you were to talk organization there, probably not so much, but, uh, that's where I usually, you know, tilt it more toward here and trying to make sure that if, you know, I use, you know, put things in my calendar that I know have to get done at a certain point Mm -hmm. and set reminders. And then you also, I didn't, we didn't even talk about this. I was just thinking about this, but adding to it, you're also an adjunct here at Roosevelt in the hospitality tourism management program. I've seen, you got your list here. I think you've, you teach or have taught intro to sports as business enterprise, sports marketing, sports communications, media, and PR. Um, are you are you teaching right now? Yeah. Oh um, how many classes? Just, just one, one, and it uh, meets once a week on Monday nights. So uh, in the fall, if there's Monday night football on, um, you know, you know, not miss, making that. Um, some <laughs> of the students take the class, and they're bachelor or bachelorette fans, and they you can tell they're getting antsy by the time <laughs> seven o'clock rolls around. Um, but it's, uh, it's been better. Uh, I, 
since I've been through it a few times already now, um, and I, cre- I give credit to a few people. Sean Sullivan was teaching here. He was taking those classes, and then when he moved uh, to Indianapolis, you know, that was where uh-huh. we were able to co-teach, and that was a great, fulfilling experience with teaching yeah, communication. Yeah, and he's such a good guy. He's the, it's his fault that we got uh, brought together. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, definitely deserves the shout-outs today. Um, good human being. Yep. Um, you know, anything, anything else that you'd want to talk about with what's going on with Roosevelt or share any other stories or tips with folks? You know, uh, when it comes to Roosevelt, uh, you know, we have a lot of great things going on, you know, with Mike being in his role, we got a lot of new leadership and admissions, financial aid, where we're really getting things, but we weren't doing as well as we could. We're getting it right. And, uh, you know, I think that it's it's just a great place. It's like you said, it's downtown, um, has a lot to offer. Um, you have a great teacher in hospitality and uh, tourism management, you know, <laughs> just right right here. Um, but actually, you have a lot of great faculty members and staff who are really caring. And, um, you know, so with Roosevelt, in terms of athletics, we're we're still trying we're still trying to get it from. Uh, the point where we're in that growth startup phase yeah. to really managing and getting things right. I love the Joe Madden do simple better. I definitely bought that shirt and I brought it up in meetings and uh, with our staff is because they want to really put the cart before the horse sometimes. Mm-hmm. And well, I, that goes to the prioritization, right? Like yep. you can only do so much. You can have a to-do list of a hundred things, but you can't do a hundred things. You've got to figure out what are the two or three or four that you are the most important and you can do well get those up and running, and then you can start working your way down the list, and the list is probably reshuffled by then, right? Yeah, yep. and, and that's where I, I understand that they're ambitious, they want to win, they want to mm-hmm. win in everything, and uh, where I want them to just really focus on a few things and get those right or as perfect as possible. Maybe they're not going to be perfect, but they're going to be as, as good as we can do it. So uh, that's where, you know, here, I think university-wide, we're really trying to focus on what we do well and really focus on those things instead of just branching out because other institutions right, are because then you'd have to get the other shirt where it would be try not to suck. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to do better than that. Right? I, do, I do have it in two different colors because I'm a Bears fan. I had to get that one too, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the bear. John Fox needs that to <laughs> put his guys in the try not to suck shirts right now. All right, well, John Jeramillo. I can't I'm just... You can call me John. Uh, I call him John. You can call me John. Jeremillo's fine. Uh, for those who speak Spanish, Jaramillo is acceptable. Yes. Um, I'll answer to it, but John is, is the We'll just call him John. Yeah. The athletic Director at Roosevelt University in Chicago. Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our chat on the Painless Podcast. I enjoyed it, Chris. Thanks for having me. Appreciate a, you. A pleasure, man. All righty. I hope you enjoyed my chat with John Jeremillo. Great guy. And uh, pretty insightful on, on uh, uh, how we got to where he is and, and how he makes it work right now, juggling all that stuff at Roosevelt. And if you like this episode, please subscribe to the Painless Podcast as you scroll back in the feed. If you haven't already, please also check out some of our other episodes, like last week's with Jason Sachs from Positive Coaching Alliance. Uh, TK Gore from CSN Chicago is a great one. Chris Reuter, the CEO of Spikeball, has been very popular. Uh, some sports media, including Nancy Armour, Julie DeCaro, Stephen Bardo, and you could also love Tab Lob, Lump, yeah, Lump, Tab Bamford in uh, sports media with Committed Indians, but uh, he's also with La Vida Baseball and Teamworks Media. Some, some great conversations with folks now that we're up to a whole dozen of them done. Uh, please check them out. Any feedback, any guest suggestions, sponsorship ideas, Hit us up at painlesspod at painless.network. Looking forward to hearing from you. And don't forget, one last reminder, buy those Chicago Beer Classic tickets now for May 6th. Get the info at chicagobeerclassic.com or at the Painless site, painless.network, and use that password or promo code that is RFEFRIENDS10. See you there. And until next time, it's Chris Hartwig saying, stay connected, friends. Oh.